Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee shops, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders. They call us by name. Always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us in our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at a local business. Look for the contactless symbol and pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. Can they keep the game alive? Prescott, going deep and it's gonna be caught. Michael Gallup beats Ramsey, but he flag is down. And they're already coming back, so you know it's going to be offense. Pass interference, offense, number 13. 10-yard penalty, repeat, third down. So Gallup could not get away with it. Would have set him up at about the 15-yard line. Fourth and three earlier, had a chance to tie the game, passed it up, didn't get the first. So fourth down and 20. Prescott trying to find time and space and finds neither, and that's going to wrap it up. Only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys indeed? We start off the season with a Dallas Cowboys loss, where the only positive thing to come out of it is we're one step closer to John Mashoda having to do the hot sauce bet. So welcome in to another About Them Cowboys podcast. I'm Kent Garrison, producing, welcoming in the best of the best when it comes to covering America's team, and they work here at The Athletic. Speaking of The Athletic, gosh, are you guys enjoying the Dallas Stars run to the Stanley Cup? I know I am. I'm enjoying Sean Shapiro's coverage at The Athletic. I'm enjoying John Machota's Cowboys coverage. I can't wait to see what Bob Sturm is going to write about this week. Right now, you can get on The Athletic for a dollar a month. Yes, you heard that correctly. Not a dollar a week, not a dollar a day, a dollar a month at theathletic.com slash about them cowboys. So cash that in now. It's a limited time. Theathletic.com slash about them cowboys. Get on for a dollar a month. Get you in through the rest of the season, and you're going to want to get on it because we've got a lot of great stuff coming at you. So now, it's time to welcome in our panel from The Athletic. We have Saad Youssef, Father John Mishota, and from the mighty Eagles, Ben and Skin Show, Kevin, KT, Turner. It's time to talk about this game. KT. All right. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, man, kind of a wild one, as you might expect on opening night on Sunday night at the new SoFi Stadium in LA. Uh, um, We'll just kind of run you through the game and then we'll obviously have a good discussion on Mike McCarthy. We'll have a good discussion on Cowboys injuries and how, uh, what that looks like moving forward. But uh, generally, after the game, we kind of run through the game chronologically and just talk about some of our observations and thoughts on kind of how things went down. So the game starts off, um, and the Cowboys end up you know, going three and out pretty quickly, and then they punt it to the Rams. The Rams hold the ball for pretty much the entire first quarter. What did you guys think about at the end of the first quarter as the Rams have a third and inches inside the Cowboys' ten? And a delay of game is clearly called on the field. And then they show a replay on the TV broadcast of Sean McVay running down and trying to call the timeout to the referee. And they granted him the timeout. What did you guys think about that? Because 
I know I have my thoughts, but I'd like to see what you think first, John. Um, I would say the for me, it's just the. I think we didn't state enough how bad the officiating might be early on. We talked about like tackling and just how issues that the offense or defense might have because they haven't had the normal time to, you know, practice and things like that. But clearly, the officiating wasn't on the level that you'd want it for in an NFL game. And as we will get through the rest of this show, there will be other instances where <laughs> that was an issue as well. But, uh, yeah, that didn't make much sense to me. Um, I don't think you could blame it on crowd noise. Uh, so I don't understand how that happened. But there are a few other things we'll get to that I couldn't understand either. What about you, Saad? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that, you know, I, I, I think if you – if you just look at the way that it that it unfolded, like it should have, I, I think it probably should have been a delay of game. I don't know how you kind of go back and uh, and and you know, th- there's no way to review that. That's not like a that's not a reviewable thing. So I don't know how you go back and and later make the decision after calling the delay of game that you know it wasn't. So I don't I like I think that if you hadn't if you had given them the timeout before, it makes more sense just to stick with it. But I don't know how. You know, you went back and changed it, but like John said, it was a it was a very rusty operation um, from officiating. Yeah, and, and that's something obviously we'll get into a little bit later because that one of the biggest plays of the night was you know had the refs heavily involved. I I, I think you know refs are off. I, the reason I wanted to go here is because there's so much outrage you know on social media, and obviously Cowboys fans are frustrated with that. But I will say this, you know, one thing that refs are told, a few things are told. One thing is on delay of games is to let it go to zero and almost count another second. Try to get the playoff. Like, offenses are almost given an extra second to, to be allowed to get that playoff. Um, and then I think also, it's almost like, to me, like an unwritten rule. Like, basically when that happens, as long as the coach is clearly trying to call timeout, like they will give the team the choice almost. Like, do you want the timeout or the five yards? And it kind of felt like that's kind of what, what the case was right there. Instead of, like, really looking at it, but I couldn't stop help thinking about like uh, I couldn't stop thinking about how we review everything in this league now. It's like, are we about to get to a point where we have to review the timing of when which a coach calls a timeout to the referee? It almost seems insane that the head coach has to run all the way down there to the two yard line to call the timeout. But either way, uh, I just thought that was a uh, thought that was a little something to get into. The Rams get on top early, seven nothing. Malcolm Brown. Scores a, uh, a one-yard touchdown run, uh, and then we go to uh, start to kind of move it on a little bit down down the road there. Um, Terrence still obviously gets the start at right tackle. Well, how how much of a surprise was that to you, John? Because that was announced uh, before the game. I mean, it was really surprising, but you also got to remember we're not seeing the same stuff in practice that we would normally see. Um, Mike McCarthy's done a good job of of keeping everything pretty in-house and secretive, and it's. You know, he. I guess he got practice reps this week or this past week at right tackle, so he wasn't surprised by it. At least that's what he said after the game. Um, but yeah, I certainly didn't think they would go in to week one with undrafted rookie free agent at right tackle, um, especially because of the fact that when we saw him in training camp, you know, albeit he was going against Alden Smiths and <laughs> Demarcus Lawrence's and Everson Griffin's, he didn't look very good. So. Um, obviously they saw stuff there that they liked. Um, I, I'll say this, I thought it was going to be more of a disaster than it was. Like, I mean, I thought he was, 
he didn't do too many things that really stood out. And that's usually what you want to do, especially for an undrafted rookie free agent. So uh, maybe I'm setting the bar too low because I was in Atlanta when Adrian Claiborne took over and destroyed Chaz Green for an entire game. And the Cowboys didn't make any real significant adjustments. So maybe the bar is just not where it needs to be. But um, I know we'll talk about this uh, throughout this thing. Maybe we won't, but I'll just get into it right now. Like, Aaron Donald is such a monster. Like the way he was just throwing bodies around like that. Like I know that, you know, the defensive tackle position isn't quarterback and and wide receiver. And so they're not going to, you know, focus too much on those. But like there almost needs to be a camera on that guy at all times. Like, I mean, he is like, I feel like the saying of like, you know, you got to watch out for this player because he could wreck a game. I feel like it's overstated in football, you know, whether it's college, pro, whatever. But no, that guy really wrecks games. Like you you always have to have like two guys know at all times where he's at. And I know the Cowboys offensive line isn't what it was a couple years ago, but it still is a pretty solid offensive line. And he just didn't seem like he had many problems at all. And uh, it's fun to watch from a, just a football fan standpoint. But I, I, I was kind of wondering, are they going to move Aaron Donald? Cause they'll move Aaron Donald on the outside too. I was like, are they just going to keep putting Aaron Donald on this, on this undrafted kid? Uh, and so fortunately it didn't happen a ton for the Cowboys, but uh it, it, this appears like, especially with Cameron Irving su- suffering knee injury, it's going to put him out for an extended period of time. This certainly appears like this is what they're going to be going with until at least Lyle Collins can get somewhere back to where, you know, and I don't want to alarm anybody, but I mean, he has a hip issue. I mean, we I, I don't know the severity quite yet, but, you know, that's the thing. Like hip issues bothered Tyrone Crawford all last season, and that's why he ended up having surgery. So it's not like this. I don't know. Will this go away? If not, uh, Terrence Stone might be a right tackle for a while. Yeah, and also, you know, to, to piggyback on what John said, first of all, like, I did think Terrence Steele was pretty good in this game because he wasn't noticed, but the guy that Aaron Donald, I mean, when when you talk about, like, I thought they would try to switch him on to Terrence Steele to, to get that pressure, but he was bullying Zach Martin, and like, and Zach Martin is one of the one of the best guards in this league, and when when John talks about Aaron Donald being able to wreck a game, uh, he literally wrecked the Cowboys' first drive. They were moving the ball. Um, they got Zeke involved in the run game and the pass game. Dak threw to Amari Cooper to start the game, and they're moving down the field. And Aaron Donald bullies Zach Martin straight into st- straight into a sack. So I mean, it was it was a one man wrecking crew at times with Aaron Donald. I know there's that clip floating out on on Twitter as well. Um, of him just you know basically taking out three guys in the middle, starting with Connor Williams, moving over to Joe Looney and Zach Martin in like one move. So Aaron Donald was just an absolute beast, and I think like like John said, he's not gonna get the love that quarterbacks do, and uh, and it's very fair at all times to say Patrick Mahomes is the best football player in the world. But man, Aaron Donald has to be in that conversation. Uh, he's amazing, I, and I'm not going to get too far off track here. But I do want to like tell this quick story of that. Uh, back when I started, uh, you know, kind of watching NFL draft prospects like with Broadus uh, from the Cowboys, and was going up to Valley Ranch. We had Senior Bowl access. This was one of the first years of doing this, uh, 2014. And it's the only people I've seen ever dominate each other. I've never seen anyone dominate Aaron Donald the way. Zach Martin occasionally did at the Senior Bowl that year. And conversely, basically Aaron Donald was doing the same thing against Zach Martin and these one-on-one reps. They were just, they were the only guys who could make each other look bad while also 
as the, you know, throughout the week, you know, would also win their fair share of reps as well. So like as, as highly regarded as, as Zach Martin is, and we obviously think very highly of him, Aaron Donald is unreal. And uh, that makes some decisions later in the game, a little more, uh, more of a head scratcher, but we'll, we'll get to that as we move on. Now the Cowboys do get the ball before, before we talk about the Cowboys and their big drive to tie the game. That's about when we got news at the beginning of the second quarter that Leighton Vanderash is going to the locker room to get his collarbone examined. Now, I didn't see the play where that happened. Did, did you guys happen to see the specific play where it happened? Because it was kind of like, I, I'll say this. First of all, I wasn't very impressed with how he played, but it's one quarter, small sample size. I'm not going to kill the guy for that. But I, I think it had to have happened pretty early in the game. Uh, I mean, like like early in the first quarter. Uh, because he, there were a few plays where, like he just wasn't like attacking the line of scrimmage like you were like hope and like you kind of thought you would see. And I think that's why the, uh, the Cowboys were giving up a couple of big running plays, or part of the reason the Cowboys were giving up a couple of big running plays early on in the Rams' first couple of drives. Yeah, what's tough about that is you just don't know what play it happened on because a guy like that's going to continue to play through even if he initially thinks, yeah, something's not right here. He might wait until the series is over and then he gets checked out. And then that's when the doctors say, let's take you in to go get an x-ray. So I don't know exactly what play it happened on, but you know, you know what's going to be said. It's going to be the comparisons to Sean Lee can't stay healthy, things like that. But I agree with you, KT. I know it was way too early in the game to, to be making too many, too many judgments or anything, but like, how bad the defense looked early on in this game, particularly the linebackers, particularly defending the screen game. I I, I understood that they were going to be the, the area where you were going to have the most concern because they that's where it really hurts not having the full offseason. You're bringing in a new defensive coordinator. You're changing things up. I know a lot of the players are the same, but I knew there were going to be problems there defensively, and we obviously saw that early on. But two things that stood out to me, and, and one was, one was the, the trouble in the screen game, and the other was that the linebackers just weren't playing to the level that you would expect when, especially going into the season, you had a lot of people talking about how this might be the best linebacking crew in the entire NFL. And so the way it started out, it certainly didn't look like that, but you want to see them progress and play together. And then all of a sudden you have Leighton go out and you have this setback and it doesn't appear. I mean, he has, he has a fractured clavicle, you know, he's not going to be back anytime soon. Like he'll, he's not gonna be out for the season, but he's going to miss an extended period of time. So that means you're, you're going to be relying on Joe Thomas uh, you need Sean Lee to come back, but we haven't seen him do anything. He is on that three-week IR, so he's potentially can return for week four, but we really haven't seen him do much other than be on the resistance cord. So this is a time right now, this is why you have Sean Lee is because this is perfect for him to step in and, and, and you should be pretty solid at linebacker, but we don't know when he's going to be back either. So a lot of question marks there, but to answer your original question, I have no idea what particular play had happened to him. Yeah, I think I think the player that's going to be kind of more under the microscope now is going to be Lou Gifford, right? Because I mean, and I know Joe Thomas stepped up, and 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 you know Joe Thomas is also a quality linebacker, but I think Lou Gifford. I mean, we've kind of heard about him for the last couple of years, and and you know he popped up on the injury report the last couple of weeks, but um, but I think he's going to have to step up and play a big role, and and. You know, it's unfortunate. You can't really blame anyone for for an injury. I mean, it happens, especially in a gladiator sport like football. So, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a tough, well, no pun intended, but that's a tough break for, for Leighton Vanderesh. And, uh, and it's going to, you know, fortunately, it's not going it, to, fortunately, first of all, it's not his neck because, 
you know, I j- just for the guy, I'm I'm happy that it's not his neck, um, or the the neck issues that you know he was dealing with last year. But but uh, but aside from that, like you know, I think you know, I, it, hard to pass judgment on what he looked like in, early on in the game, but. Um, I think Luke Gifford is going to be the key moving forward. Yeah, you know, this is an injury that we've seen. It's a little different for, I think, a linebacker than someone who maybe has to make a throwing motion because we've seen this injury a couple times with Aaron Rodgers. We saw this with Tony Romo, uh, you know, in the past decade. Like, this is an injury where you can see it really wreck a season if it's a quarterback. We've seen position players get back out there um, and position players that aren't quarterbacks get back out there with a broken clavicle. So, you know, I'm no doctor, but I feel like that four to eight week timeline feels right. You know, obviously, maybe we'll get some uh, official news on that uh, later today or, or as the week goes on. Um, you know, then and that's another reason I picked the Rams to win this game. I was just so worried. I think the Rams are such a bad matchup for the Cowboys because of what they can pose offensively with their misdirection. And until we get a better handle of what Mike Nolan's defense is going to be uh, going to do and and how they flow to the football. It's just something that always made me nervous about playing the Rams is when they get on there, when they get in the zone and they're able to run the ball and then can get the play action going and can kind of move Jared Goff around a little bit, they become very difficult to cover. And obviously we know how good their wide receivers are. Uh, the Cowboys, though, didn't get the ball. Go on an eight-play, 80-yard drive. Dak hits Gallup for 24 yards. The big play on the drive, 33 yards to C.D. Lamb, kind of his – uh, big introduction to the NFL. Everyone gets a good look at, at what he can do uh, from an explosion standpoint. And then the screen pass, or not really the swing pass, not a screen pass, it's a swing pass to Zeke. And Zeke does, again, I do not think Zeke's the greatest running back in the league by any means, but I think he's the only running back in the league who can score on that play because the amount of space he had as four guys were coming down on him and then to juke him to the left and then have the power and balance to stay on his feet and barely get in the end zone uh, was incredible, uh, and the Cowboys score to make it seven-seven. I, I can't. I thought Zeke looked really, really good last night, and and kind of put a shh sign to all the haters. I was, I was going to say, I think that for all the negatives that you can draw out of that game, that's one of the biggest positives. That Ezekiel Elliott looked very fresh. He looked good. And really, anytime he touched the ball, you know, when there was space, he got yards, uh, just very physical, like you would expect out of him. Like you just it seemed like he was trying to set the tone early on and really even throughout that game. Uh, like I said, you know, there's a lot of things to question. There's a lot of things that need to be cleaned up. But as long as you keep getting that Ezekiel Elliott, this team should be pretty good on offense um, throughout the season against any team, no matter what the boxes are. So, uh, you know, there, there's a lot. We're going to get into the offense and that. But there's there's a lot of things that you can take away that are negative. But, but there's positives as well on that offense, things that, you know, I understand like it's a vanilla play calling. A lot of people were critical of that, saying this is Jason Garrett uh, all over again. You know, you just got to remember there wasn't a normal offseason. There were no preseason games. Like like Mike McCarthy told us last week, he wasn't one of the biggest things that he believes in is that early in the season you can lose games as opposed when you sit there and try and do too much. And he means in that like turning the ball over doing foolish things. So they weren't going to completely be wide open week one. Like I know so many people on Twitter that I saw throughout the game wanted them to be, there was going to be, they were going to be somewhat conservative to a certain extent playing their first game on the road with, with a new head coach. So I don't think that the offense that we saw in that game is the one that you should expect to see throughout the season. Um, obviously I think CD Lamb's going to get better. Um, you know, the receivers as a whole, the more they play along together, they're, they're going to get better. Um, but the Ezekiel Elliott, the way he played in that game, 
Cowboys fans should be excited about that. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, uh, the last the lasting memory we have of him was last season when, you know, he had the whole contract situation. Didn't he didn't have the full offseason going into going into that season. And and I remember talking to uh, running backs coach Gary Brown last last year. And uh, it was around the bye week, which, John, I think that was like what, late October or something like that. And or it was somewhere it was somewhere pretty late in the season. And uh, and Gary Brown was like, yeah, Zeke is still working his way back into into game shape and things like that. So uh, Zeke, is, you know, he, he struggled last year, but it, I think that had a lot to do with his holdout and everything like that. And he looked he looked as good as he's ever looked. Uh, you know, he and and I was impressed with the the way that he also was like you know involved in the passing game. I thought he looked smooth catching the ball um, and, and everything. So I think you know overall. Zeke was a positive. I think Dak was a positive too, and so um, I think you know th- at least those two those two people playing well for the Cowboys bodes well for going forward. Yeah. So the Rams then uh, would get the ball. They kick a field goal. They go up ten seven. Cowboys get it back. Have a really nice drive. Uh, really getting Tony Pollard involved a little bit was good to see. Uh, drive down the field. They they stall out and have to settle for a fifty three yard field goal, uh, which Greg Zerline missed. Uh, and I immediately thought about Kent, uh, but I also thought about, uh, you know, uh, when you look at Greg Zerl and really all of his kicks last night, it almost had that Maher feel of like, he's not really hitting it squarely. But all reports that we've seen, limited, uh, granted it's been very limited because the Cowboys have been, been uh, you know, secret keepers. At least he's been nailing them in practice, right? Like you couldn't say that about the other guy. That's uh, my question Maher about this. Year. That's my question about this is... <laughs> John, I saw the reports coming from training camp about Zerline, and it'd say, Greg Zerline was 5 for 5 today in practice. He made kicks from 27, 35, 37, 43, and 48. It's like he never kicked a field goal over 50 yards in practice in the training camp. Like, why don't they practice that? (laughs) And his first shot out the gate is a 53-yard field goal and missed it, you know? I don't know. Believe believe me, I, I don't like what I'm about to say, but it's the truth. Uh you can't take on what we just saw as in that's all that they practice. Oh, sure. Because I'm telling oh, you, it's I, I more know, secretive than ever this year. I mean, uh, I'll be honest. I don't want to get into too much of complaining about things, but like we don't get to see anywhere near close to what we did before. Like the first two practices we got to cover, normally we get to cover three practices throughout the game week. So in, in the past, that had been Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And that when I mean cover practice, I mean like the first like 20, 30 minutes. So but at least in previous years, you'd see all the players on the field. I know this is crazy. Stick with me here. We don't even get to see Dak Prescott. He's working out inside the Ford Center with the quarterbacks. And then when that time comes for them to come out, that's when our time's done out on the field. So it's like, what happens if all of a sudden it's like last year at the end of the year where Dak's got this shoulder injury and then we're not going to get to see him until... so. Like, just because we're not seeing it doesn't mean that they're not working on it. I will say this, from what we did see, a lot of Greg Zerline's 48-yarders would have been good from 60, 65. I mean, he was booting the ball. But also in those settings, you're not really having a defense that's coming there and, and trying to block a kick either. I mean, they're really, like, they're standing there, the ball snapped, and then they kind of just engage with their guy. But, I mean, they weren't tackling to the ground. They weren't going full speed throughout camp. So it's not it's not going to be exactly the same. I mean, the one similarity is obviously there's no fans in the stands in practice, no stand, fans in the stands during that game. Um, but there's only so much we can see. And obviously he's making all of his kicks, so we're going to report that. But 
that doesn't mean he's not working on other things. In his career, Greg Zerline is a 60% kicker from, from plus 50 yards. He's 33 of 55. I guess that would be 33 of 56 now after that miss. The big story on that miss, though, is that Cam Irving uh, gets rolled up on. And, you know, we didn't know that at the time. And a little bit later, they kind of show you the play. And that's my least favorite injury is the, the knee injury where a guy gets rolled up on. And then Cam Irving is sent to – and they see they put him on the cart. And when they, whenever they put a guy on the cart with the secret security camera, um, yeah. you're going, oh, God, this is bad. It's it's not good. And it just goes more to my point that I don't know why anybody would want to play on an offensive line. I mean, I get it. Like, uh, you can make a lot of money if you can do it at the NFL level. But it's so thankless. Like, you could block the best game of your life. And what that'll probably lead to is somebody else on, on offense having a good game, whether it be the quarterback or running back. And they're going to get all the credit. And then you have plays like that one where it's not all that uncommon for guys to be falling on the ground and getting rolled up like that. And it just, man, it's such a, there's nothing he could have done on that play. I mean, he doesn't even see the guy coming. And what's crazy about it too is when Cam Irving goes down, he rolls up in the back of another guy's leg. Yeah, no. And luckily it just didn't, it didn't affect him the wrong way. But like, keep in mind here, like college guys, this is, that play right there is a good example. And I don't know if this would have prevented him from getting a worse injury or what he did get, but. And that's why in college they make all their offensive linemen wear the knee braces on both knees. But once you get in the pros, those things come off because to make it on the pro level, you got to be on you know the elite of the elite, and 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 wearing those braces might slow you down a you know a quarter of a second, and that might be the difference between you not playing in the NFL and you being a starter in the NFL for some of these guys. So you don't see as many of these knee braces, and so you see stuff like that. And man, it's it, it's crazy that you don't see more injuries like that. Well, the miss. Uh, well, the miss sucks. So that means it's ten seven. Then the Rams get it back. This is our uh, Trevon Diggs moment. Uh, well, one of our Trevon Diggs moments of the game. Uh, Golf hits Van Jefferson, the Florida rookie wide receiver, up the left side. Man, it was such a great throw, but it was really good coverage by Trevon Diggs. Wasn't it refreshing to see a cornerback be in position and actually kind of try to make a play on the ball, even though. It was a perfect throw, and it ended up being a big gain for the Rams. Wasn't that, like, fun? I feel like you say that, but I feel like there's other people that will probably say, oh, we've seen this from Cheeto. Cheeto gets in position, but he just doesn't make the catch. He doesn't make the interception. We've been seeing that for years. Here we go again, another Cowboys DB. Um, There were a couple plays where Trayvon Diggs, I don't know how he could have played him any better, and, you know, the receivers he he was on still made catches, and Van Jefferson one is obviously a great example of that. But as this game goes on, there's just there's things that Trayvon Diggs did that make you think, yeah, they got a corner here, they got a good player here. That as long as he keeps progressing and stays on the field, he'll he'll be just fine. Yeah, I think like you know, Cheeto's a good example of of kind of you know being in position but not making the play. But I thought you know for me, and you know, obviously I've watched Cheeto his entire career in Dallas. Um, I, I just felt uh, like. I think conceptually that's true, but I, I got more Brandon Carr vibes from uh, from Trayvon Diggs from when Brandon you know Brandon Carr's first stint with the Cowboys. That was a lot of what happened as well, where you know Carr would be in position, but I think Carr looked to uh, at least look back a little more and look to play the ball a little bit more than Cheeto did in the past. But um, but yeah, I thought I I thought that's kind of how it you know felt when uh, and when Trayvon Diggs was in position to make these plays, but was unable to. Well, and then they, the Cowboys uh, end up holding 
the Rams to a field goal. So it's 13-7, the Rams lead, and the Cowboys uh, get the ball back. Then Dak starts cooking a little bit, uh, puts some completions together, hits Blake Jarwin uh, on an out route. Blake Jarwin with a big catch, catching the ball with his hands. There's a little bit of traffic uh, on the out route. looks really nice. And then he hobbles off the field. And then we don't see anything from Blake Jarwin for the rest of the night. And there's a report that comes out that it's uh, kind of assumed or, or the Cowboys are fearing that Blake Jarwin has a torn ACL. Uh, to me, uh, oh, first of all, it's, look, it's, obvious, it's obviously bad news. And maybe we'll talk a little more in depth about Blake Jarwin. But it became very clear throughout the night that, you know, Dalton Schultz is not ready to be a starting player in the NFL. That's not a shot at Dalton Schultz. Still a developmental guy was always kind of seen as that. But they're going to have to do something or get creative offensively because I'm not sure you want to run Dalton Schultz out there too often as we move on throughout the year and still kind of consider yourself a contender. I remember watching a lot of the noon games yesterday, and I'm not saying Jarwin was going to be this, but my goodness, it is so clear that Baltimore relies on Mark Andrews so much. The Eagles rely on Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard so much, and we'll see if they, you know, they're taken seriously. Watch the Chiefs and the 49ers rely on Kelsey and Kittle. I'm not telling you Blake Jarwin's got to be a top 10 tight end, but it does help to have competent tight end play. And as you saw in this game, once Jarwin went out, you kind of saw some uh, some holes in that position for the Cowboys. Yeah, and, and the biggest thing for me is that Schultz, Schultz just isn't in the pass catcher that Jarwin is. And so you take that element away, and it's like, yeah, you have him and Blake Bell that can be solid blockers, and occasionally you can throw a ball at them, but they're not the weapon that is going to change the way defenses play against you like Blake Jarwin was supposed to be this season. And so you lose him, and yeah, maybe it opens up more opportunities to have Tony Pollard out on the field. Maybe they'll use a variety of different things like that, uh, you know, two, two running back sets, but they still need good tight end play. And so um, I don't know. I don't know what they're, what they're going to do. Like they either have to go and, and look for one via trade or something on the waiver wire, but they have to get better at tight end. And I don't know that it gets there by just moving Cole Hicktooney up from the practice squad. Like, I think you're going to need more than that. So that was a big blow um, just because of really just how players have talked about Blake this offseason and what they expected and the step that they expected him to take up because of what they've seen from him. And so that one that one didn't look good, specifically because if you've watched any sport, you know when a guy goes down with an injury, particularly a knee injury, grabs his knee and he's not touched by any other player, those are the worst because those are generally your ACL type tears and things like that. Um, and the way he broke on, on the replay and nobody really touched him and he just fell down. Uh, it didn't look good right from the beginning. And, and then obviously, as KT mentioned, uh, the reports that started to come out weren't what you wanted to see. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting how the front office views this, because um, I do think they need to get help. But it's like how much you've already invested so much financial resources in your offense, so many so many draft picks in your offense. How much more can you really invest in the offense um, when your defense looked the way that it did already? I mean, you know, I, there were more. There was more chatter throughout the game about you know what is Earl Thomas gonna uh, should they sign Earl Thomas and things like that. But but John, you're right. They do need to uh, they do need to address the tight end position. And you look at a team like you know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for example, that have you know Rob Gronkowski and OJ Howard, and then they have Cameron 
uh, uh, God, I'm blanking. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's like, do you, do you go and try to make a trade for someone like that who, who could be an upgrade for you? Um, but it's, you know, it's all going to come down to cost and, uh, and what it's going to cost them. And they've already invested so much in the offense. I don't know that they choose to do that versus, you know, signing someone who's a free agent, um, off the street, but Hey, Rico gathers is probably still out there. Right. So go, go give him another shot. Rico gonna Rico, you know, I know one thing too, like with Blake Jarwin too, like we saw like him catch a lot of times he was open and whether it be like a quick dump out or, you know, wide open over the seams, you know, one thing that was really huge, I thought, with that catch last night is, like, he's closing in on the sideline and he's got a defender on him. He was open, but, like, not wide open. Like, we've seen him make a lot of catches when he's wide open. That's the one thing I was kind of looking for at him. Blake Jarwin's like, hey, let's uh, let's see him start catching some passes in traffic and some huge conversions. That was, I think, to me, that could be considered traffic. That guy was very close to him. Um, and he made a huge catch while, while, you know, closing down on the sideline and then, to lose him is going to be huge. Again, not official that it's an ACL, but those are kind of the early speculations. And, uh, you know, we'll know a little more uh, as the week goes on. And, and surely by the time we do our uh, Falcons preview podcast uh, later in the week. Now, the drive does, you know, continue, though. And the Cowboys do a good job after that. Dak hits Lamb for 12 yards. Dak hits Gallup uh, for 14 yards. Um, kind of end up, you know, keep on grinding it on in there. Dak. Uh, hit Lamb again for nine yards. Then Dak on second 11 has a 12-yard run to get to the one-yard line. It was initially called a touchdown and then reversed. And then, you know, Zeke pounds it in. And somehow, some way, at halftime, the Cowboys had a 14-13 to lead, even though it felt like they were kind of being dominated. No, that you couldn't say that any better. That's how I felt. I was like, how are they leading right now? Um, but you know what? The defense progressively got better and so because in those first few series you were like oh wow the rams might put up like 50 in this game they just i mean they were doing whatever they wanted big plays you know dump it down get huge gains off it like you were like this isn't this is this isn't good you weren't getting any pressure on jared goff i mean i understand he was getting the ball out quick but that really didn't improve throughout the game uh that's going to be an issue uh they're gonna have to find ways to get to quarterbacks because you can't let that guy just kind of I know that they were playing the quick game because they knew what they were going against, but um, obviously the defense settled in for the Cowboys after those first few series. That helped, but yeah, the way everything was going, this looked like the type of game early on where you're like, you know, just get to half within a touchdown and then reassess and and then you know take try and take over in the second half. But they kept hanging around in there, and and uh, there you go, you find yourself up fourteen thirteen. They had to be feeling great about themselves right there. And another reason why I don't think that they were going to do anything too crazy offensively is because I think they felt good about where they were at. They kind of got through that the beginning jitters and some sloppy play early on. It's like, hey, let's keep doing what we're doing. Zeke looks fresh. Uh, let's keep running what we're running, and, and we'll be just fine here. Yeah, I think this also shows kind of the the importance of, of not settling for field goals just in general when you look at the way the Rams played because that second drive they had was a 17-play drive. Um, that that took almost nine minutes off the clock and they came up empty-handed because they missed a field goal but even settling for a field goal this is something that you know this holds true in the NFL always and and you know something the Cowboys should should learn from for themselves is the fact that you know you can't settle for these for these three-pointers uh when it when it comes to finishing drives you have to get in the red zone and finish and if you're a defense 
it, you know, if you can bend but not break, that's huge. And so, you know, the, the Rams got that first, uh, they, they started the game with that touchdown quick. But after that, they settled for three field goals and missed one. So I think, you know, that's kind of why you got the feeling that they were dominating, even though, uh, you know, the, the scoreboard didn't show it. And, you know, I it wasn't quite C.J. Anderson, but the way they were running the ball was just like, it, I mean, they, they were gashing the Cowboys uh, through different, you know, whether it was misdirection, straight up the middle, outside sweeps, no matter what it was. Um, it wasn't quite that playoff game, but man, Malcolm Brown was having a day against the Cowboys. I, I do think, though, that they settled down, though, a little bit there. I mean, you look at the way that they mm-hmm. finished running the ball. They only they averaged less than four yards per carry. I thought that was the one area where they improved, uh, uh, at least how the game went on compared to early on. Like I thought Cam Akers would break some at least one decent run on them, and he never really did. Um, so yeah, at the beginning, I was really like, oh, this this run defense is really bad. Like the, there's significant issues here that they're gonna have to clean up. But I did I do think they got better uh, as as the game gone went on in that in that particular area. Um, but on, on offense, you mentioned the red zone thing. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. When you watch the good teams on Sunday, they score touchdowns in the red zone. They don't settle for field goals. I've watched the Lions my whole entire life. The Lions settle for field goals all the time in the red zone. That's like their MO. You just expect it, and that's why they're not a good team. You watch the Chiefs. The Chiefs aren't settling for field goals there. The really good Patriots teams, they don't settle for field goals there. The Ravens, they don't settle for field goals there. And that's that, and then the third down conversions, how poorly they were in those areas on offense, that's the difference in the game. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, the Cowboys have come out of the half leading 14-13. They string together a pretty good drive, and they have a third and four uh, at the Rams 39. So, you know, get convert this first down, and then the drive extends, but they get a sack. Uh, Michael Brockers ends up sacking Dak. Cowboys have to punt. Then the Rams go on an 11-play, 90-yard drive. Um, they really – Beat you really every, in every way. I mean, they, they ran the ball a little bit. Uh, Goff hit Woods a couple times. They had a big play that was a 30-yard pass to Robert Woods. This was the series where I just, you know, in my head just kept saying, look, I'm, I'm not being uh, critical of these guys too much, but I think it was very clear to me on this drive because Darian Thompson was kind of exposed a couple of times on this drive especially on uh, there was a pass to Cooper Cup and there was a, the, the play to Wood, uh, uh, Robert Woods. Uh, the Cowboys need safety help. Now, is hey, that, did you need to see this game to know that? No, I knew that, but it's like, <laughs> did it? So it's, I was also like asking the front office, do you guys need to see this? Um, because now you may have other, you may have other more pressing needs, man. If you want to tell me that tight end or linebacker, or uh, more offensive line depth is a more pressing need, then maybe we could go there. But that drive was, it became qu- quite clear that Darian Thompson, who didn't, like, it's not like Darian Thompson got burned th- four times last night and cost the Cowboys the game. But there were just a couple times where you're like, man, it's just not, it's just not going to be good enough. And, you know, the Rams end up scoring another Malcolm Brown touchdown uh, to make it 20 to 14. And they get it that back. was the game winner. That, yeah, that was that the in, game winner. <laughs> ended up being the game winner, huh? Well, this is where the game started to feel like it was kind of slipping out of control. After the Rams just dunked on the Cowboys in that drive, the Cowboys didn't have a three and out. So 2014 and then punt it to the Rams. But then, my God, a Cowboys turnover. You never see it. You never see it. But you did last night. 
Alden Smith puts some pressure on Jared Goff, um, and Cheeto Ouzier finds a way to make the interception, and the Cowboys turn the tide and get the ball back. And, man, I think, look, uh, Cheeto, great getting the interception, but, my goodness, we got to talk about Alden Smith. He was excellent last night. He was, but let's also point out, if we're going to be pointing out later on in the game questionable calls, let's be fair on this. That yep. is a blatant hands of the face. You really can't get much worse than that unless you tear his helmet off. So even their only interception, they shouldn't even have had that because that was that was real bad. Um, so, But outside of that, Alden Smith, best defensive player, um, I'll say other than Aaron Donald in the entire game, I felt. I think he, he, led, he had the most tackles in the game with 11. He had two hits on, including the one illegal hit to the face uh, on on Jared Goff. He had he had the sack, and um, from what we saw in practice with the rotations we had seen with with Demarcus Lawrence and Everson Griffin and, and Alden, you kind of thought all of them would kind of eat a little bit, but Alden clearly had the better game out of, of that trio, and, and and it really wasn't that close. So th- that if Ezekiel Elliott's the biggest bright side on the offense from from week one, I think Alden Smith is the biggest bright side. Um, on the defense in week one. He certainly made it made a huge impact. And you would think that with that rotation that he's not going to have to just sit there and play every single down or the majority of downs. Like they can rotate and keep him healthy because that was kind of the, you know, that's what you worry about with those guys is that if they're playing the entire game, then they get tired and could be worn out by the end of the season. So it seems like as long as those three stay healthy, they should be able to keep somewhat fresh. Yeah, and I think, you know, with Alden Smith, it, the, the thing that impressed me most yesterday was, you know, there are some times where guys are just physical beasts like Aaron Donald we were talking about. And uh, and not to say Aaron Donald's not a smart football player because I'm sure that he is, but with Alden Smith, um, the mental side of the game was kind of showing. Like his outside containment was really good. He wasn't getting fooled on a lot of those, uh, a lot of the plays that um, a lot of the other defensive linemen, frankly, were, linebackers were. So, I thought that was really impressive that, you know, he was five years out of the league and yet he comes right in against Sean McVay and all those things that, you know, they were thrown at him. He just, he was mentally there and then physically he was finishing the plays. And yes, that play that we're talking about was more of just a physical get after the quarterback thing, um, even though it was, you know, ended up being an illegal play. But like, you know, I still think that, you know, Alden Smith, especially in the first half, we saw his outside containment. Um, was was really was really solid throughout the entire game, and I think that was you know it, it's not it's not very often where you see just like you know a player being you know mentally there, and I think that was an example of of just Alden Smith, uh, you know, making his reads and playing sound sound football. Well, and then the Cowboys get it back, and after a turnover, what do you do with it? Second six, Dak throws it into traffic, looking for Dalton Schultz. And it hits Dalton Schultz in the hands, but Dalton Schultz can't rein it in. Uh, I'll give a, a little bit of a pass by saying that two guys were about to sandwich him, but still a, a pass that's got to be caught because that ball was right on the money. And then on third and five, the next play, um, a little bit of confusion maybe as Dak throws it towards Amari Cooper on a crossing route, and Amari just wasn't looking for the ball. Um, now, Mark Cooper had 10 catches last night. I think overall, I think he had a good night. Didn't have a big play or anything. And, you know, I really wasn't expecting the Cowboys to have a lot of big plays. I, just, I think they were very cognizant of the fact that they were going to have to get rid of the ball quickly with Terrence still getting the start at right tackle. 
But, you know, overall, Amari Cooper, 10 catches, got the ball quite a bit last night. But that was a very confounding play when you had him on the crosser. Uh, wasn't wide open by any means, but he's your number one wide receiver, and you generally want your number one wide receiver looking for the ball on a third and six late in the game. Yeah, I don't have any argument with that. Uh, for as good of a game as he had on the stat sheet, like that play, I was surprised that he wasn't looking on. And then the play later in the game where, where Dak threw him along the sideline and I, he wasn't expecting Jalen Ramsey to come off of his guy and be there to put on the hit. But like that's just a play where he has to hang on to the ball. So while I thought he was solid for the most part, there were certainly plays there that, you know, you'd like to have back. Um, I don't think he, you know, he definitely didn't play a perfect game. But again, I, I really feel strongly that the more these three receivers are on the field together, the better they'll get. So as long as they stay healthy, I think everything takes care of itself. I, 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 cause I, like I said, I saw on Twitter, a lot of people critical of like the vanilla offense and not doing a lot of taking big shots and, you know, going for the big play and things like that. And I, and the Rams had a lot to do with that too. But, um, as long as this, as long as that, that core three sticks together, they should be okay. Uh, we now go to, uh, it's 20 to 17. The Cowboys get a stop. They have to settle for the field goal. They make it 2017. Then they get a stop. And then as they are uh, grinding up the field, they put together a pretty nice little drive here. Nine plays, uh, 56 yards, but it's play eight and nine that I think will get everyone's attention here. This is the athletic Shield Kapadia here to tell you about Liquid IV. Nobody likes to feel dehydrated. Maybe you get a little bit of a headache, dry mouth. You just don't feel like yourself. But believe it or not, dehydration still occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Maybe you use it after a really intense workout. Maybe you went out socially distanced with friends and had a couple extra beers the night before. That's where Liquid IV comes in. It is healthier than those sugary sports drinks, no artificial flavors or preservatives, and less sugar than an apple. Plus, it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. And Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Liquid IV is donating 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Third and six. And they're on the Rams 14, and they hand it off to Zeke up the middle. Now, Collinsworth in the TV broadcast was explaining, you know, maybe the idea was you had a great box count. So you had maybe four guys in the box and maybe seven guys blocking him, or, th- or six guys blocking, and, and then the handoff to Zeke. But I, I, it, the vibe was that the, the plan all along was to go for it. 
And here's a third and six. Let's see if we can make this a convertible fourth down. To me, that's a little flawed logic. I'm going to go ahead and just try to get the first down on both plays. Because um, they got three yards, made it fourth and three. And then obviously one of the bigger plays of the night, fourth and three with 11.46 left in the game. Cowboys trailing 20-17. to 17. They can kick the field goal and tie it. Uh, it would be a 29-yard field goal. Or they can go for it and take control of the game. And CeeDee Lamb is crossing. Uh, Jordan Fuller is closing down on him. And CeeDee Lamb had to narrow out his route. I think if he runs that route deeper, I think it might be an interception because the safety was very close to him. Uh, Dak hits Lamb and he's short of the chains by one yard. And now the debate is open on the decision to go for it on fourth and three. Uh, I'll leave the table for you, John Mashota. Have at it. First of all, I'm just, I was fascinated by the entire play because there's so many things that you can break down in that play. Uh, whether did CD run it that route, that shallow crosser, did he run it deep enough to, cause he didn't get past the sticks. He was actually a yard in front and that's where he ended up getting tackled. Did Dalton Schultz push far enough up the field to cause enough traffic for, you know, Fuller to have, to make it more difficult play. Um, could Dak have thrown a better ball out in front? Uh, of CD so that he, he didn't have to kind of reach back to his hip. Um, and then just the most obvious thing that like, you know, Cowboys fans don't want to look at, but like Fuller made an incredible play. When you watch that thing on the all 22 in full speed, it's like he runs right to a spot full speed. That's like, it's such a bang, bang play. If he does not get just a perfect hit on him, CD lamb easily gets that first down. So it was like, everything just went perfectly uh, for Fuller. I mean, you couldn't play that play any better. Um, but me personally, I have no problem with that, with that play call. I have no problem with them being aggressive because it's bigger than just that game. I feel like that was Mike McCarthy trying to set the tone for, Hey, this is what we are. Like, this is an offensive team. We're going to be aggressive. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but we're going for it here. You got, you know what, if we need, like you said, on the run play, um, that they don't run the ball there, not knowing, Hey, we're going for it on fourth down right after that. So that was all part of it, whether you want to say it's analytics or not, because he said after the game the analytics would say you go for it there too. I understand that, and most fans are going to watch it, and they're going to be like, this is McCarthy versus Garrett. Like, no, it's not. Like, even if he kicks the field goal there and, and they tie the game, they could have still lost it later. Uh, because here's the thing. When you're up by three as the Rams, you play offensively different than if they would have tied the game there. So you can't just assume it's apples to apples. Like, if they kicked the field goal, the Rams would have run exactly the same plays, and we would have had this chance and this chance. Like, they would call their game plan differently, too, if the game's tied, as opposed to still having that three-point lead. You get a little bit more conservative in the game there. I have no, I had no problem with, with, with them going for that. I know the old traditional football fans say, you take the points. It's You know, you're on your 11-yard line. That's a make it. You got to, I mean, that's an easy field goal. Take that, tie the game up. I have no problem with them being aggressive. With all those offensive weapons, that's the strength of this team. Go get it. Yeah, I, I didn't have any problem with them on fourth and three either. And I, I think, you know, I had I had a little bit of a problem at third and six initially, but then, you know, you also look at the way Zeke was playing, you and you know, you look at the way the box kind of ended up for them. Um I, you know, I, I know fans, you know, really hated that play. And I and let me be clear, I didn't like it. Like I wasn't a huge fan of it. But I don't think I had as looking back at it. I've watched the game over one time, and and when I watched the game the second time, like I didn't I didn't really have as big of a problem as I did the first time. Now the fourth and three, the, what the fourth and three play really says to me is two things. One, it it tells you a lot about Mike McCarthy. Two, and I don't know if this is intentional, if Mike McCarthy meant to make this known or whatever. 
to me, it tells a lot about just what he feels about the defense as well. Because, you know, they've only given up 20 points up to that point. It's not a whole lot. But this play, like, and I mean immediately, right after CD got tackled, my first thought was Kevin Falk, fourth and two against the Indianapolis Colts when the New England Patriots went for it. And, you know, at that time, they were they were in their own territory. But again, you had Tom Brady. You, had, you were an offensive team. You didn't really feel that great about your defense stopping Peyton Manning at that point. And so they went for it, and they didn't make it. They came up just short. But it was a philosophical thing where, you know, we're an offensive team and we have to we have to put we have to put it in our offense's hands. Whether they win or lose, the offense has to win or lose, no matter how the defense is playing, whether it's, you know, uh, whether they're giving up 20 points, whether they're giving up uh, whether they're giving up 40 points. It just doesn't matter. The offense has to make the decisions. And that's kind of what it boiled down to. I don't know if Mike McCarthy meant to, you know, uh, show that he doesn't have as much confidence in the defense, um, and maybe he does have more confidence, but he's just sticking to the identity. But to me, that that's that's the number one thing that kind of stick stuck out to me as well. Nobody has to agree with me on this, and and that's fine. Um, and I and I really don't want to come off sounding like a homer because I love ripping a coach as much as anybody because it just it's fun. But let me just say this. I've been watching this team for a while, and I do think it is funny how many fans, maybe even other media members, are critical of all like the running of the football and, and giving it to Zeke. Because I keep going back to this, like while it's fun to criticize, and and you know what, I slept fine last night. I didn't make any bad calls. I didn't make any good uh-huh. calls. I'm just I wrote my story and went. But I'm just gonna say this: to think that as a fan that works your nine to five. And just watches the game on Sunday. And I don't care if you're an elite L. Bundy high school player and you think you know. You think so far. Let me put this all together. You know more than Scott Linehan. You know more than Jason Garrett. You know more than Mike McCarthy. You know more than Kellen Moore. Like we have a big sample size here of guys that do a lot of these same things there. And I'm hey, maybe they are all wrong. And, and, and all the fans are right. And maybe they need to. Maybe they don't even need to run the ball. Maybe they just 70 plays pass every single time. Maybe you guys are right. I'm kind of going to give the benefit of the doubt to these guys that are, have made it to the elite of the elite levels and have had success if, at some point in their career. But, hey, maybe I'm wrong. I agree with John there. You know, I think, you know, you have to, when you look at just the, the repeated sample size and you see different, and again, you see a different different coaches and different systems doing a lot of the a lot of the same things you do have to kind of pause and ask yourself that like you know uh, you know what whether it's whether it really is the right decision or not but i think at the end of the day i i didn't have a problem uh, you know with the third and six especially when you look at especially when you look at how the the next play uh, you know kind of came together there it's not like mike mccarthy had to make a decision on fourth and three. I think the only like I think he, it was it was it was very much you know planned going forward that hey third and six if we if we lose yardage on this play we'll kick a field goal and we'll move on with our lives. But if if we if we can get ourselves in a decent position, then this is going to be on the offense to win or lose the game. And you know unfortunately they, they you know just CD didn't get past the sticks enough, and there's a lot of different reasons for that as John outlined, but. I, I agree with John. I think, you know, you have to, I, I think criticism is fair. Um, but I think, you know, this, this is true when it comes to playing, you know, uh, when you're, when you're playing GM or when you're playing co- uh, 
coach from your couch. It it, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of fans like to think like you know it's so obvious. Go sign Earl Thomas. Well, you know if it like I said, if the Ravens cut Earl Thomas, if the Seahawks didn't want Earl Thomas, and the Cowboys aren't signing Earl Thomas, I understand you want Earl Thomas, but maybe there's something there when all these these elite decision makers aren't signing that guy, signing the guy. So I think you know when you look at these things, they all kind of fall together, and I completely agree with John on that. But sad, I I played high school football and I have a pro football focus account, so I know. Okay. Okay. A little too much pro football focus for me. Um, no, just kidding. They're a good, good, fine website. Um, let me just say this: if the score is twenty to eighteen, he kicks the field goal there. Analytics is about winning the game. Okay, and no one ever talks about this. At its core, analytics is about how can you win the game. When it comes to analytics that are based on tying the game, the percentage is always less. Okay, whatever model they're looking at, it's always less. Tying the game is not what you're playing for. It's the whole deal about being down by 14. When you score, you go for two the first time because you're playing to win the game. You're not playing to tie the game. You're not playing that way. You're just playing to win the game. So to me, it's a little hypocritical if anyone has ever been has ever used the word conservative or uh, griped about Jason Garrett in that regard. Now, here's my issue. Third and six. Why are we running the ball? And I say this to be very open right here. I understand that that's an option and we can get a more convertible fourth down. I get that. I get the ideology. Why have a hard decision? It's third and six. Let's try to get the first down. Okay, we get five yards. It's fourth and one. Awesome. We get a first down. Awesome. We get sacked. The decision is made for us. We throw an incomplete pass. The decision is made for us. We kick the field goal. To me, that's terrible. And there's a lot of things Kellen did last night that I was not happy with um, from a play calling standpoint. I, I mean, you watched the Cowboys and the Rams offense last night, and they're two vast, I mean, they're, they're, they're very different offenses just in terms of how much movement and traffic crossing the field and finding ways to get people open. Now, it's week one. Like, we're not, we're not opening up the book and showing everyone everything yet. So I understand that. I have no problem with the fourth and three decision. I have big time issues with the third and six decision, which might not have even been the play call. Maybe Dak changed the call at the line of scrimmage. That That's my issue. The decision could have been made for you. Instead of having this difficult decision that you're getting roasted for the next day, the decision could have been made for you by having a better play call on third and six that gave you a better chance of getting a first down. The third and six play call you gave, if we're talking analytics, gave you a less chance of getting a first down than going to the air with it. That is my TED talk. But did it? But did it? I, I didn't see the box, so I don't know. Like, I don't know if if it was a favorable box, and, and it, that's because Dak went in there knowing I got two plays here. If I see something favorable here, call for the handoff, hand the ball off, and let's go, you know? I believe that they were in nickel. So I guess Fuller was out there. Well, he's always out there. John Johnson was out there. The two corners were out there. I don't know who else, but you know, Collinsworth made the point too about running into the box. I haven't seen the all 22 yet or whatever, but to me, like, I I don't know. I I just think you can help yourself out there by at that point in the game too, man, on third and six, what are we doing? Running the ball. I'm all about getting the ball to Zeke. Let's find another way to get him to him instead of just running it right the middle. 
I'm not going to speak on that particular play in terms of the running game. I just see the most criticism, and maybe I just it's the people that I follow on on Twitter. But I just see the most criticism whenever anything goes wrong with the running game. And I just want everyone to remember, yeah, what kind of defenses we've watched here in Dallas over the last decade, and the defense is important. Because you need to run the football to run clock. Because if you put those defenses that we've seen here in Dallas over the last decade on the field too long, you're getting your doors blown off. Like it's it's been a game, which is which has been a game for a long time here. And 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 hey, it, it, maybe it's not the coach's fault. Maybe it's because they haven't drafted enough and, and put enough resources in on defense. But for the last decade, this defense has needed a good offense to be very complimentary to not put them on the field too much. That's a big part of their offensive game plan, too. So I understand that there are people that do want them to throw all the time, and that is the more entertaining way, and they have all these receivers. I get all that, but also with the running game. And I'm not speaking just on this play, but in general, because I see a lot of people complain anytime they run the ball. It's like when you have Ezekiel Elliott, you have that offensive line, you're you're going to run the football. Yeah, and, and I think this happened yesterday as well as far as, like, you know, the time of possession. There's a lot of different reasons the – the Cowboys lost the game, but at the end of the day, the Rams had the ball for almost 36 minutes. The Cowboys had the ball for 24. So I do think, like you know, that's important. Now to KT's point, you know, it's like you know, you run the you can run the ball all game, but I think with KT, if I if I'm understanding you correctly, it's just like you know why that play, and and I understand that, but you know, I think you know, it, I think there's a certain you know sequence of plays that you just have in your mind as an offensive coordinator as a head coach and and you know I, I don't maybe I don't necessarily agree with uh, agree with it completely like I said initially I didn't but when I went back and watched it I was like you know I, I even if I don't like like it I can understand it and move on with it you know and John's point is great Mike McCarthy signed a 5 year deal this is about building something right now now obviously they're trying to win the Super Bowl this year but this is also about setting the tone. And you're going to see Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy will not freak out about what fans or writers say about him or radio hosts say about him. He will not just change and start going for it on fourth down out of character like Garrett did uh, last year. Quite frankly, he'd just start going for it randomly. Um, it's after he'd been killed for it a lot. McCarthy will not do that. McCarthy's an aggressive guy. Um, McCarthy will go for it a lot. That That's that something that he will do. Um, what I would say, though, is... To me, I have a hard time hearing about analytics determining that decision when the analytics on third and six tell you that throwing the ball gives you a better chance of getting a first down. That's where my issue. Lies. Oh, oh, he didn't say he didn't say they determined it though. He just was asked specifically yeah, did analytics yeah. play a role, and that was part of the answer. Sure, yeah. Which which is a that's a fine. I mean, look, if you're going to answer that, if you're him, that's a good way to go. Uh, or you could be honest and say, look, I thought I believe in our offense. Uh, let's go uh, kick some ass. You know. But to me, like it felt like a half measure when you're going on third and six and you hand it off to make it fourth and three. Now, if Zeke gets the first down, we all who cares? We're never talking about it. And I totally understand that. But you have a better chance of converting that first down on third down by going to the air with it. Or, you know, maybe it's fourth and one, whatever, you know, that's just me. Okay with the fourth down call. Not okay with the third down call. Let's move on. Rams get it back. 20-17. 20 to 17. Cowboys do a good job. They hold. Alden Smith uh gets a uh, gets a sack right there. And the Cowboys have the ball back on their own 12 with 629 left. And I think uh a big play we kind of t- hit on it earlier. Third and five. Dak hits Cooper. Cooper's drilled in the back by Jalen Ramsey and he drops it. Um I don't know if that's um look, he got hit hard. 
and get, got hit hard in the back. And I have a feeling the three of us probably dropped that ball too. Um, but we're also not making $100 million to catch the football. The, the uh, I don't know if it's an attention lapse, a, 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 a lack of focus, uh, or just, you know, maybe just things not going your way. But those were really two concerning things to see from Amari Cooper, you know, late in that game when you need your number one wide receiver. This is on the heels of not even being in the game on the fourth down in Philadelphia last year and, and all that stuff, you know, that, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not being uh, – I hope I'm not being uh, too critical, but I hope I'm being the, the correct amount of critical because that's my wide receiver one. <laughs> I'm going to you on third five. It's Let's make the play here. As we've said before, we're just seeing a complete opposite of what we saw the previous, you know, six years before him with Des Bryant. You know, um, Mario will get hit like that. The ball gets knocked out. There's no complaining. He goes to the sideline. And, and I can see people on TV watching and go, this guy doesn't even care. He doesn't even care that this happened. He just, he just, he's got his money. He doesn't care. That's not the case. He just has a different personality because we've seen it as Brian, if he drops that he's flipping out, he's yelling, like he's bringing a lot of emotion. And so I think that factors into this too, is that we're seeing two complete opposites because the uh, positive from this side, from that side of, of Amari Cooper being that way is he's not going to be a guy that gets flustered if. Michael Gallup gets 10 catches or CeeDee Lamb gets 10 catches, you know? So it kind of goes all together. It's like, I, I know everyone wants the perfect, you know, everyone probably wants Michael Thomas. I get that, you know, um, but uh, they don't, they, they, had a they chance. couldn't get Michael Thomas. Yeah, but they don't have him. So this they're, they're left with these three wide receivers. I think they're going to have to just try and make oh, it. Oh no. <laughs> um, but real quick, I just wanted to say about the Alden Smith thing. That was just so huge too on that sack because yeah. up until that point, you're talking the Rams were 9 of 15 converting on third downs. Yeah. Like, I mean, converting on third downs is like one of the biggest stats in games, whether it's your offense converting or your defense stopping third downs. And the Cowboys were terrible on both sides, that offensively and defensively. And that's why, yeah, they were they were the only team that got a turnover, but that completely makes up for it. And when you just, you can't get off the field, it keeps your defense out there longer. And offensively, you can't convert on third down. It stalls drives. You can't get any momentum going. That's that to me was was their biggest weakness in that game offensively and defensively was third down. But on that one particular play, I mean, if they win this game, you're looking back on that play and, and, and it's even bigger than obviously right now. It's bigger than it just being Alden Smith's first sack since 2015. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the sack was really big. And also, with, well, the, the one thing I'll add on Amari is that, you know, I think I think Dak probably appreciates the fact that, you know, uh, that Amari does have the personality that he does have, especially with this arsenal of wide receivers, because Dak is able to actually make his reads and and, and you know go to the re- receiver that's open or whatever. Look, we we've seen it twice that comes to mind really quick. Last year against the Eagles, when the game and the season was on the line, the Cowboys went deep to Michael Gallup. Last night, when the game was on the line, they went deep to Michael Gallup, and it's not because necessarily. They, they prefer Michael Gallup over Amari Cooper. It's nothing like that. It's just that's where Dak felt was probably the best situation for, for that specific play. And he also knows that he doesn't have this pressure in the back of his mind that, you know, if I don't get it to Amari, then then he's going to, you know, get on me on the sideline or anything like that. So I think, you know, uh, and, and then also the drop pass is one thing. And I understand, uh, I, and I'm not really talking about this, but just in general, when you talk about Amari Cooper, 
a lot of what a lot of the conversations that we have with them have to be directed at the appropriate uh, person. Like sometimes it's not Amari's fault when uh, when when they're not going to him or something like that. Like you know when people talk about Amari disappearing, like yeah, he has some some blame to take in that. Um, uh, you know when it does happen, but sometimes hey, that's just where the play call goes. And it's where the reads lead Dak. So I think that's something to consider as well. And again, he had 10 catches last night. So I mean, it's not, I don't think anyone said he had a bad night or anything like that. It was just, you know, key situation, wide receiver one. You want that guy to make the play. And keep in mind, 10 catches, it, it also needs to be pointed out that the knock on him for the last two years has been the splits between home and away. Yeah. And so there haven't been a lot of 10 reception games on the road, even though I don't really consider that a road game. Yeah, it's because, weird now, right? It's all, everything's neutral, right? Not only, not only that, but the stadium, the only thing different about that stadium is they have a different TV set hanging from the ceiling. Like yeah. everything else about that stadium, I was like, those these guys are probably going to feel like they're playing at home. But anyway, um, that, it was interesting they ended up with the, with the 10 catches be, just because of those splits just being so wildly different uh, it, during the previous seasons he's been with this team of just where at home, that's where he, he usually eats on the road. He kind of falls to the wayside. You kind of forget sometimes that he's out there. Um, but yeah, 10 receptions. I, I just... I'll put it to you this way. We came into this game wondering, what are we going to get from Amari Cooper because of his hamstring issue? Like, what are we going to see from Amari Cooper? And I think as long as he's healthy and he's out there, I think they're going to be fine. I agree with you 100%. Uh, Then they have to punt it off to the Rams, and this is where I got a little nervous. But then uh, a huge play by Trevon Diggs, and Tristan Hill should get a little credit too for his pursuit, is they make a tackle on Malcolm Brown to force a fourth and one. Uh, and the Rams were, you know, in their own territory, around their own 40. But Trevon Diggs, that the strength to make that tackle, and really just a, just a, one of the bigger defensive plays of the night because that tackle's not made, it's game over. And or it's probably going to be game over. He makes the tackle and allows the Cowboys to get the ball back. Uh, do you guys have anything you want to say about that play or do you mean to keep going? No, I put that right there with the fuller play by the by the Rams when he came up and hit C D Lamb. Like it's just such a bang bang play and, and the speed that these guys are playing at. I mean, there's just there's no there's no kind of second guessing what you're doing. You have to go all out on that play, and that's what Trayvon Diggs did there. And if he doesn't make it, I completely agree with you. The game's over. And see your rookie second rounder come up and make that play uh on opening night. I don't know. To me, there's enough flashes, and that's what you want, man. You want your rookies to show you something and get in there and make some meaningful plays and for it to happen right. this and, and fast. It, yeah, and it was as in the run game, it was making a tackle, coming up, making a tackle, where that's not something you're going to see really in training camp or even in some of their practices because they're not tackling to the ground. We've seen him in those sessions as the type of guy that can turn and make plays on the ball, and, and you, you see the upside as a big corner in the passing game. But to come up there and make that hit, um, that was that was really – that's a good thing to see because – this is essentially the guy that you got to replace Byron Jones. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there were plays that left out there uh, by him that you'd like to see him maybe get his hand on, on a ball here or there. But I think overall, I think you've seen some of the glimpses of what we've been seeing in practice. So then Cowboys will get the ball on their own nine-yard line, 222 left. Uh, Dak hits Amari Cooper twice for a first down, all right? That'll take us down. He hits, actually hits him three times. Uh, so that takes you to the two-minute warning. Uh, so it's second and six. Dak gets sacked right here by Leonard Floyd. This is kind of where Terrence Steele kind of ends up coming back into the game a little bit. Uh, kind of towards the end of the game, you kind of saw it when it was kind of a trouble, when things are a little scattered and there's a little chaos and maybe you're not huddling up and calling plays. 
things got a little difficult. Uh, but that created the third and 13. And then Dak was an incredible, another 12-yard run, just kind of uh, putting the team on his back a little bit, as we've seen him do a thousand times, diving, makes it fourth and one, clock ticking, chaos everywhere. They hand it to Zeke up the middle, but he picks up the first down, all right? Then they have an incomplete pass and everything slows down. They're able to huddle. But by that point, it is second and 10 on their own 34 with 37 seconds left. Um, then Dak, uh, the ball gets deflected. Um, but it's third and 10 on the 34. And this is the play of the game, uh, clearly. Dak hits Michael Gallup up the left side deep for what would have been a 47-yard gain. He would have been tackled around the 20-yard line. But Michael Gallup is called for offensive pass interference on Jalen Ramsey. So I just want to point this out too about about Dak. I've, and again, maybe I just need to not watch Twitter when I'm watching these games. But there was like criticism of him, you know, not making the big plays late. And I'm just kind of like what? the run he had on that 12 yarder is just incredible uh, in that moment because. Most of us are sitting there watching that game thinking after that Terrence, Terrence Dale gave up that sack that, yeah, this is probably game right here. Makes that big run to get it down to fourth and one. And then that throw has just been overlooked. No one's talking about, like, that throw was perfect. And he's throwing, throwing it on a guy that's arguably the best corner in the league in Jalen Ramsey. And it was a perfect ball from Dak to Gallup. But obviously it's erased because of the offensive pass interference. But one of the reasons why you know he's going to him in that situation is yeah it's it's who I think is is the best corner in the league but it's single coverage there's no help from the safety on top it just it's one on one and and Gallup is their fastest receiver well yeah he's probably yeah, their fastest receiver I think his speed in the forty is pretty similar to what Ceedee Lamb is but okay we'll say Gallup is is probably their fastest down the sideline and so he had separation there I think it's a play that in that part of the game you probably don't call you know Tony Carrenti the the official uh, of that crew said that that's a play that they would call any time in the game there. He did point out that there were two flags thrown from two different officials that they saw it cleanly, that it was offensive pass interference. Uh, when it happened, I'll say my initial thought, and I, maybe it's just because I've been watching too much of the NBA playoffs, but I felt like, yeah, it's Gallup versus Ramsey. They're going to give that one to Ramsey. If that's Gallup versus maybe, you know, Jordan Fuller, maybe that doesn't get called. Um, and I'm not saying that the, I have, proof that the NFL calls it like the NBA certainly calls games uh, like that. But uh, I, I thought that might have factored in. Oh, okay. Real quick, Sod, I'm going to let you weigh in, but I wanted to point this out. At the end of the Bengals Chargers game, which I watched yesterday from the comfort of my couch, me and my couch. I'm sorry got, to hear that. Me and my couch got to know each other pretty well yesterday. A good the 12 straight hours just kind of sitting there. Um, but at the end of the Bengals and Chargers game, uh, AJ Green gets called for offensive pass interference. And his offensive pass interference call, way more blatant than the Michael Gallup call. But if you watch that, and to, to the same logic you just put, A.J. Green's going to get that call over the cornerback from San Diego. He was going up against, right? Or San Diego, from the L.A. Chargers, right? Like, well, that also depends on the crew. Like, well, that's another thing, of going back to the NBA. There's, like, a long history of, like, yeah. certain refs call certain things and certain ones help, you know, benefit certain players. That's why, like... You know, certain you want sure. certain guys to call certain playoff games and stuff like that. So I'm not saying it's a universal thing that, but when it happened and you immediately saw Jalen Ramsey, like the way he was upset and was like waving his hand like he wanted the flag, I was like, mm, this might come out yeah. here, you know, and it did. So. Well, with AJ Green, well, real quick, real quick, Sato, I'm sorry, but the, but the AJ Green, there's clear extension, should have been a call. 
Me personally, last minute of the game, I'm not calling that. I'm no. not saying you can go out and kill a guy out there, but I'm not calling that in the last minute of the game. And, and here's, here's my thing too. Will, that type of stuff with the refs taking over the games will run people away faster than anthem discussions and crap like that. It is that type of thing where refs are deciding games that just makes me want to blow my head off. Right. And we don't want you to do that. Um, I won't. The, my, okay, good. And But my thing is like, if you don't call that right there and you let just let the guys play, like there's not much time left for them to score a touchdown. Like they still have to decide it on the field. And even if they kick a field goal there, then you go to overtime. Like I agree with you. Like let the players decide that. Like, and when he made that call, you were basically deciding that game. They're just, I mean, they were going to go into prevent defense on the next play. Like it was going to be hard for you to complete anything that, that gets you downfield. So that was, the, that was, you know, when you throw those flags, you're deciding the game right there. And so, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't understand why you wouldn't let them play in that situation, but it is what it is. Okay, Saad, it's it's now your turn. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, I, I think you know, if we're going to blame, if Cowboys fans want to blame uh, one, you know, somebody for that play, though, I think it's more Jalen Ramsey. I think he did flop a little bit. I think he did, uh, he, he kind of, he kind of forced the hand. Um, and, and by the way, he flopped while the ball was still in the air. Like he played, he played that, play at the end of it for an offensive pass interference so um you know if you want to get mad at someone I I I mean yeah I I, like I understand totally getting mad at the refs and I agree with everything you guys said you know as far as the refs deciding to play but or deciding the game but I do think Jalen Ramsey has has a role in this too where like you know the NBA got so tired of people flopping they said you know now it'll be fines and suspensions that if you flop and I think Jalen Ramsey certainly flopped on that play and um and the, and the, yeah, how's and that work? One. How's that worked out in the NBA? I'm I've been watching a lot of these playoffs. I don't I don't see. Oh, okay, because it seems worse than it's, ever. But continue. Sorry. Well, it's almost like the whole uh, wear a mask policy and don't high five policy. Hey, can you just some of you guys wear masks and just <laughs> yeah, try right. not to high five each other? There's so much high fiving happening yesterday and handshaking in the NFL yesterday. Sorry, son. Yeah, and then and then the last thing that I'll say about Dak because because you know John brought up the point. I agree. Look, the, the the throw was perfect, and I and I don't understand whether it's on Twitter or you know go read John's John's piece today that's up this morning. And and in the comments, there's still people that are complaining about Dak Prescott, and I, I just don't understand how you watch that game. And one of your one of your primary gripes is how Dak played because I think Dak was I, I think Dak was good in that game, and so you know I I don't quite understand the criticism there, but. Um, at the end of the day, look, when, when a team loses, this is what's going to happen. And, and, and when, you know, I think, I think Cowboys fans, like until, like, you know, until Dak, like wins a Super Bowl or something drastic or wins an MVP or something like that. I think they, for, for some reason, the ghost of Tony Romo just still like exists because if you're a Cowboys fan and if you watched NFL football on Sunday, you would be thanking everything in your life that Dak Prescott is your quarterback yeah. because my god there was a very there was a strong lack of talent around the NFL quarterbacking not just yesterday but just in general i mean how how do you watch the cowboys game yesterday and think Deshaun and then watch Deshaun Watson on Thursday and think you know what Deshaun Watson is 10 times better than Dak Prescott i, I mean i'm not saying like they're on the same level and so you know the, i i think it's a lot of just you know uh you know the the predecessor and all that kind of stuff but really 
I, I don't understand the Dak criticism that comes out of that game at all. Carson Wentz was a problem for his team yesterday, quite frankly, and I know they have a bad offensive line, but he was a problem as the Washington football team uh, got the win over the Eagles. Carson Wentz was a problem for the Eagles yesterday. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo was a problem for the 49ers yesterday. Uh, so, and a lot of people have it in their head that Dak, they think Dak already makes $40 million, I guess. You know, I think that's a, a, that's a popular thing I was seeing on Twitter was, you know, he can't have that if he's the second highest paid quarterback in football. Well, guess what? He's not. Like, he's not that. So that's one. But two, if you watch that game and if Dak was one of your top 10 problems for the Cowboys, then I don't know what to tell you. You've got it made up in your mind and you're dug in that you hate Dak Prescott. Like, that's kind of like what it is. Dak was not a problem yesterday. Dak was really good. It wasn't his best game, but Dak was really good. He was really good. And quite frankly, they had a game plan going in to me, and you can kind of look at a few things that will help you uh, see this, but I think they had a game plan going in that made them go, we're going to have to get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, We're going to have to, you know, make sure that we don't, have Terrence still isolated uh, very often because I don't think they made a decision flipping a coin yesterday afternoon to make Terrence still the starter. I think they probably knew going in that was going to be their play. You look at their yards per attempt, five and a half, that'll get up. They'll end up being a team that throws the ball. Their yards per attempt is seven, eight, nine yards per attempt down the field once they are able to get Lyle back in the fold. But for now, when you're going up against a team like the Rams who have a few guys who can cause problems for you and having Terrence still out there at right tackle, the game's got to be, let's get rid of the ball. Let's, uh, you know, get, get it out of his hands. Let's let our talented guys go make plays. I think that's what they did. So that was kind of uh, the way the game ended. Cowboys lose 2017. They're 0-1. We'll give it another run at noon on Sunday against the Falcons. Um, obviously, we'll have a, an, another episode coming up later in the week to kind of discuss uh, the latest on the injury updates because there will be some updates on that uh, and anything else that we know as well as a good look at the Atlanta Falcons who took it on the chin pretty good yesterday from uh, by the Seattle Seahawks. Um, uh, so is there anything else you guys want to get to or should we uh, should we wrap it up because we've been going for, for a long time? No, that sounds good to me. Uh, we'll have another one of these later in the week. So um, nothing's burning uh, injury front. Yeah, nothing you want no. to get off your chest. No, I feel like I did that when I complained about the fans being so critical uh, because they have a pro football focus account. Um, but uh, the injuries, yeah, I, I don't expect any good news on those three individuals. Like, oh, there's, man. it doesn't sound like those guys, if if they're coming back at all, are coming back anytime soon. So, uh, you know, obviously the loss is is tough, but losing those three guys might be the biggest loss of of Sunday night. Saad, any parting parting shots? No, I, I I'm just really intrigued at what's going to happen in that. Uh, you know, as far as the offense is set going forward, I think you know the Blake Jarwin injury is going to, it, you know, it leaves a void, but it also it also creates a, a an element of unknown. I mean, you know, does Cedric Wilson uh, get some more snaps, or you know, like Tony Paul, like John said, does Tony Pollard and the two back set? Um, come more to fruition or something or do they go try to replace uh, Blake Jarwin on you know I think that's my biggest takeaway from the game aside from the loss itself so um, you know I'll be interested to see that and then you know they they try to make it's the home opener next week uh, against the Falcons yeah if Terrence Steele and and Dalton Schultz are, are starters on your team 
you're immediately starting the game with a bit of a problem offensively. Uh, I think they have enough talent, and I think their quarterback's good enough to get them through it. Uh, but I'm look, trust me, I'm all about a youth movement. But I find myself asking questions like, Delaney Walker isn't really playing for anyone right now. I bring him in here, got a little something maybe. He's had a little bit of interest from teams. Um, David Njoku, who was a Cowboys draft visit a few years ago, kind of unhappy in in Cleveland after they signed Austin Hooper. I really don't want to give draft assets up for a tight end personally, but you know, I think there's some things that Will McClay and the crew are going to have a big week because they're going to have to find something. And I think Luke Gifford will obviously be active next week, but it'll be interesting to see what the Cowboys do uh, in terms of reinforcements you know, both when it comes to offensive line depth and, and at the tight end position. And there is still that carrot dangling out there for the free safety who's uh, available as well. So uh, that's it for me. Is it, we, are we good here? We're going to be okay. Oh, one, one, it's fine. We're going to be okay. Uh, big <laughs> I, I, I slept just fine last night. I'm good. I'll say on the uh, anybody but Dak draft, uh, Blake Jarwin was a Mike Reiner selection. And I had late, and I had late in Vanderash, so uh, no one drafted Cam Irving. Uh, it, it turns out, but uh, so yeah. But you sure? Look back I'm at sure, that I'll real quick. Make sure. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, yeah. no one's done it. Yeah, just making sure. Um, all right. Well, for our producer Kent Garrison, for Father John Mashoda, for Saad Yusuf, I'm Kevin KT Turner. We'll see you a little bit later in the week. Get you ready for Falcons. Update you on injuries and any other Cowboys news on the next episode of About the Cowboys.